Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. podcast where we are to discuss yet another Sunderland performance that leaves us all frustrated and thinking about what could have been. Another two points dropped means relegation looks almost a certainty now. It's a relegation that Ella Short deserves and Martin Bain deserves, but it's not one that us, the fans, deserve. To talk about this tonight with myself and Gareth Barker, we have Michael Loff and Phil Smith from the Sunderland Echo. So, Glad you could both come along. Good evening. Good evening, all. One and all. You can't even see it. You can't even see it's that whole thing where they pull you back in because they only threaten to pull you back in, don't they? Yeah, it was a, it was a strange, a really enjoyable game. It was sort of the fifth game in a row that I've actually really enjoyed, sort of in isolation. Which, in comparison to where we were at the start of the year, makes for quite a nice change. But obviously, it's a scan consolation. Really, the first half was just one of those where you're just thinking, this just absolutely sums up the season. Sunderland playing quite well, but missing chances left, right and centre. Goalkeeping error. You know, it was, uh, I think I tweeted just before half time saying, you know, we're a stoppage time goal away from having the full set, you know, mm-hmm. of what we've had this season. So then to come back out and play the way they did, you kind of think, oh, you never know. You never know. It, it's just going to be a case of what if, isn't it? Because questions have been asked of Chris Cormer, but I certainly think that we've seen enough in the last four or five games to suggest that actually if he'd been able to bring in a higher calibre of player in January, then those draws might have very well turned into wins. I think so. I, my personal opinion would be if, if we'd had him for a full season, I think we'd have stayed up. I'm not saying we'd have been particularly high up the division, but I, I think we would have stayed up. I, I think it's 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 not really a huge surprise in the sense that players like Callum McManaman are starting to find a little bit of form, a little bit of rhythm. That's what we said it would take time because they haven't played football for so long and that's why last summer we said you can't buy so bring in so many players who've been without action for so long. We knew this was going to happen. Mm. It's no coincidence to me that these guys are starting to look a little bit more themselves after they've been eight months on the training ground involved, picking up minutes here and there. And Lee Catamore's alluded to that as well, hasn't mm-hmm. he, this week? So with that in mind, it's going to be interesting. I mean, we've got a, still got from now until the end of the season before we discuss what happens pre-season into next season. But with that in mind, that's going to be critical that we, we 
keep some of these players. There needs to be some element of continuity. Mm. There's going to be an inevitable turnover because you've got however many seven loan players going back, four or five players out of contract. And that, in many ways, is going to be one of the most important things is can you actually keep this group of seven or eight youngsters? None of the, none of the ones who have been impressing lately are really the loan players, though, are they? That's encouraging. No, it? no, it's you're looking at your Gooch, Honeyman, um, Madger and Asora, obviously we all know about McManaman as well, has got a, got a year left as well. So there is definitely, McNair obviously has been fantastic. So there is a core of a really decent side there with a little, little bit of experience to supplement it. You'd be looking at it saying, that's the team I'm quite looking forward to. But there's so much uncertainty, nobody could say, well, we know that these guys are all going to be here next summer playing for this manager in this kind of environment. There's still so much up in the air. We've been seeing a good Paddy McNair as Gareth, haven't we, in there? Mm. I'm not sure I want him to be that good where he's rifling in 80-yard shots because a club will come in, a club will come in from Minnesota. I don't want that to happen. A club probably would have come in from anyway, wouldn't they? I don't know. Yeah, I think... I think Coleman it, said, that we, you know, I would take a King's Ransom. Now, what, what a King's Ransom is in Sunderland's position is, is anybody's guess, you know. Two million quid a King's Ransom, for example, because I would be absolutely devastated if we were to sell him for... I mean, what did we spend, was like it? That. Was it? It was five million on him. Five million. Five and a half on him. And I think love, we got love for free. I think. Right. So free love. Um, <laughs> it's just frustrating. At the same time, it's like you're always going like, well, if we add McNair in from the start of the season, like all the way through, then you'd, you'd think we probably would have picked up more results. But even so, in the last five five games, we've had him for most of them, and we still only picked up one win from the five. So it's clear that we've looked a lot better. We do look much better. We look like a much better team. We look much more functional. But it's clear that the issues lie in the defensive aspect of this team. Mentality um, as well. They, yeah, just, they, well, they, it, well, they don't have it in them collectively to, to win a game, to, well, would, to, to see out a win. I would, I, would, I would say that I would include mentality in that skill set from a defensive perspective. It's it's not a separate thing, it's it's the same thing, you know. Um and you know, so again on, on Saturday, you know, sort of half forgive love for getting a run on him at the back post. Yeah, he's not a big lad and the lad got above him on the run. But like I mean Cam for the first one the absolute joke. <laughs> And then the the second one. I mean, it's like they try the hardest to take it to new levels. I mean, the second game was done. What's they, he doing? Like, the best. I mean, he it's, a, like... it's a head in the hands moment. Like, like I mean, Camp hasn't been great, but this was similar to the one he led in at Bolton. Whether or not the lad touched it with his hand or not, which was comical, and it, it, it's cost us a game. I remember because um, people obviously you can't just blame the keepers, but you actually you can't you uh, can blame the keepers in these games because if it wasn't for these calamitous mistakes. We'd have won those games. Well, maybe we wouldn't have done because, you know, our perpetual habit of just giving away silly goals, so maybe we would have just given another silly goal away. But, no, I completely take your point. I mean, I still can't get my head around like what he's even attempting to do for the first goal because there's no way on God's earth that you can just like cushion that into your chest ever and flop on the ball, which is what you half try to do. I mean, as I say, it's almost in stages. It's slow motion. Like it's just perfectly simple. There, you just gather the ball in, you regroup, and you, and it should be the end of the danger. But like you say, like Phil alluded to earlier, we control most of our first half. But you go in, you go in a goal down, and we have to, 
um, come out um, after the half-time interval, playing really well, just to get back into the game and get on top. And then once you do get on top, obviously, we concede another silly goal. I mean, I don't know what everyone else's opinion is. Do you think Cam could have done better for the second goal? Oh, that's what I was going to comment on. I mean, he's not ready. He's simply not ready. There, there is absolutely no way that cross can come into the box. I mean, if you if you watch the build-up of that passage of play, McGeady and Clark Salter have both completely switched off. So Gunter has the run on them. And Clark Salter, I understand why, because he's a centre-back, but he's way, his starting position is so far in field as to where he should be. So that Gunter has so much room to put that cross in. Um, and I think as much as the first ever was a was an absolutely disastrous goalkeeping error, I think the second one, I think the goalkeeper's got every right to say there's no way you guys should be letting should be letting this cross but into he, the box. But he's just not ready though. Like he's not <clears throat> he's not set to deal with so the ball comes into the box, sure you go, right, I get myself prepared to deal with a header. And he's like on the move. It's like and he's just not ready, you know, like you think in the if you're a striker, you head the ball back across, back from where the balls come from, don't you? Like that's the, the um, sort of textbook way to, that's to the finish technique. the chance. That's the mm-hmm. technique, yeah. And it's like it's weird. It's like he's, and then he ends up almost like stumbling forward, like as the ball goes past him. Like you, you maybe you're right, Phil. Maybe it is a consequence of how bad he's been that people he think, like sort of. Smaller errors will be highlighted. If it was another keeper who performed, you're going to say, could he have done better there? Now Lee Camp and Jason Staley put themselves in the position where you, you know, if it's questionable, you're going to blame them for it. And they brought that on themselves, to be fair. I think, for me, I'm, I'm, I might be wide the mark, but I'm not sure Camp is fully fit. Um, to me, just the speed with which he... Well, the lack of speed with which he tries to react to the loose ball for that first goal, to me, just looks so unnatural. We know he had a bad injury coming in from Cardiff. He hadn't played much, much first-team football. Um, so, to me, there looks to be a big issue with Camp. Just the way he moves it just looks so unnatural to me. He seems to find it so hard to get down to the ball. Just a little bit with what we... just ability? No, I, well, maybe. But to me, he just looks so unnatural. Um, and listen, we all know that's one of the one of the main reasons why... They're going down, coupled with this sort of lack of aggression in the defending. And I think that second goal, like I say, personally, I would put the blame more on the defence. A, they don't have the desire to stop the cross. And, and two, it's too easy for them to get the, get the header away. So it's just kind of a catalogue of defensive errors, isn't it, really? I do agree it's a combination of the defence and the goalkeeper, but I do completely agree with Gareth when I just think the camp, he just doesn't anticipate the danger. I mean, when you're in goal, it doesn't matter what level you play at, it's almost like a game of chess when they get the ball in the halfway line. You're thinking two or three passes ahead of a worst-case scenario. Well, what if he plays the ball inside the full-back and then for centre-four makes from the box, I've got to come and deal with that. And I don't think Camp has it all. It's as if like, he's just thought to himself, oh, man, the ball's in the box and, and, and now it's going across my goal. Now I've got to deal with it. It's like you say, it's just all very unnatural. It's flat-footed and he just doesn't inspire any confidence in me whatsoever. And I think it's just been the same since his first game for the club, to be honest. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's part of you just wishes that the, they didn't bother <laughs> to build your hopes up, though, because you, you you just think, you know, with the Norwich game and with this one, even being greedy, you could say the Leeds game as well, where they're leading in the game, and then they concede late, 
And if they won those three games, they'd be out the relegation zone now, wouldn't they? Is that right? Yeah. On goal <coughs> difference? We'd be out the relegation zone on goal difference. Um, so, because we would have had the six points. So, <coughs> I mean... That does not make it worse. I, I guess it goes to show in some respects that... I was being hammered every game. It goes, to sh- it goes to show that it's not always finished when you think it's yeah. dead finished. Like, we'll, you know, we'll always see, you know, I think we're all mentally... <coughs> written our chances of survival off before those games even took place. And then we have three games in a week and we should win all the games and we don't. <clears throat> and we're looking back and going, well, if we'd won those games, would have been out the bottom three. I mean, it's mad, it's mad really anyway that, I mean, it's still, <laughs> with us playing against Fulham on Friday, there's still, if the results went the way this weekend and Sunderland beat Burton, there'd be only three points. So there's still a chance that say they beat Fulham, they'd be out of the bottom three on goal difference going into that Saturday. Now I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's the the mathematics of the situation. Are you know that is the case? Um, I don't think that'll happen at all. I mean, the likelihood is we'll probably lose to Burton at home because we're terrible at home, and we found I think it would be quite symbolic um, to lose to Burton, fact, Burton and get that. relegated, and you know. It would it would go to show how far <clears throat> we've fallen. I, I remember, um, you know, when um, you know my, my, our, our colleague Richard used to cover um, Workshop Town um, for the Workshop Guardian. That was his first journalistic role, and um, they had a run in the FA Trophy, and they beat on that run Workshop Town, Ackland Stanley on penalties. Um, and they also beat Burton at Burton. Um, and now, next season, we're playing at Ritten Stanley. This was the season we went down with fif- uh, 15 points in the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, that, that was 10 years, well, how many? 14 years ago, something like that. 13 years ago. Um, so now, in the space of that time, well, you know, we, we're in a situation where we're going to be. You know, potentially relegated that to Burton to play Ackman and Stanley next season. Um, I think there's some. I think, in a way, it would be a justified end to what's been an absolutely disastrous period for Sunderland. And I'd like to think it would. You know, people would look at it and go, "That's that's where we are now. That's how far we've fallen." And you know, as I say, no disrespect to Burton or whatever, but Burton are punching. I wonder how many times. People say no disrespect to Burton. Yeah, but or if you're a Burton I fan, like, how many times you've heard people? I don't even. I don't. I think. I don't even think they're bothered. Like I get the impression that I mean Nigel Clough <coughs> plays down their achievements constantly. I remember making some comments after we beat them in, in under Coleman in the second game about you know they're celebrating you know like wildly, but you know we're just Burton basically, and they're never got. They're ne- they're basically saying they're never going to be able to compete realistically in the championship. He didn't. He didn't inherit his father's charisma, did Nigel? Bless him. <laughs> um, he's not the most excitable of gentlemen, even when uh, even when things are going very well for them. But I think it's um, it's so it, it almost would be an apt ending to to go down at home because that's where so many of the problems have been this season. No coincidence they were clapped off again after the Reading game because away from home again they kind of went toe to toe and played well. It's it's been at home, hasn't it, where they've just not seemed to be able to break these teams down and, and find a way of playing against these teams and they've just been picked up. I mean, it's got Darren Bent 
written yeah. absolutely. Well, I don't think one ones, Sunderland he? fan who hasn't hasn't sort of went through that scenario in the head. But it's going to be Bent or it's going to be Mitrovic, isn't it? It's going to be one of the two. I'm just having to just develop a little bit what Gareth was talking about earlier where you mentioned that if results had gone our way we'd be out of the bottom three on goal difference before we're playing Burton Albion at home but I think that's been part of the problem of why we haven't been able to see out these games is because I'm not making excuses for them but I think all professional sportsmen are very goal orientated and over the past week or so we've been going to the game and it's been well if we do this and results go our way we'll only be three points off getting out of it or four points we haven't gone into a game because we haven't given ourselves the opportunity to go into a game where you think, right, if we win this game, we're out of the bottom three. And that has a galvanising effect if you've got a real tangible goal in sight. But I think when it's really abstract, like it has been in recent weeks, like as you say, where you're trying to play catch-up the whole time, it's just really demoralising. And as I say, I think that's been part of a mental problem we've had in recent weeks and just over the season in general. We haven't been in games enough to give ourselves the opportunity to get out of it. Just dangling that carrot too far away. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? It's in the distance. Yeah. I think we, I think we, you know, when we we may have, when we had those opportunities to get out um, earlier in the season, you know, we we messed them up, and we weren't we weren't playing well enough. I don't think anyway. Um, you know, like at that time, I think we're still in in that transition, and I think, you know, for whatever reason we, it is, we, we've actually played. Better recently, I don't know if it's because we are better because we've got certain players back. I don't know if it's because things have clicked a little bit. You know, <clears throat> people will point their back threes, back fours. You know, we've gone to the back four and it's it's looked a bit better. But you know, we we kept clean sheets with the back five earlier in the season, and you know, I, I just I think it's so just difficult. To the managers. Techniques and training, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's and, it? And to be fair as well, I've never seen someone play worse this season than that Brentford game, which is when he went to the four at the back and picked all the players that we wanted to see starting, McGeady, etc. And they were absolutely absolutely woeful that day. I mean, I think 4-3-3 is a really natural balance for these players and Paddy McNair said as much to us. You know, everyone's been playing this all their life. So there is that kind of familiarity that they clearly are benefiting from. But I just think it's a personnel thing. Just got better players in, in vital positions. And that's just bred a little bit of confidence. Suddenly, Fletcher feels like he's in the game a little bit. He's making those runs because he feels like the chances are going to come. Someone like you know Gooch has come back and been terrific in the way he gets the players up the pitch. And I just think these little things have just all kind of come together a little bit too late. But that's that's how it is, I suppose. But I don't think it's as simple as saying back five, back four, or whatever. No, certainly like isn't. Certainly isn't. I mean, we've got <clears throat> you know if you're looking ahead to where we might be next year. I mean, a lot of the forward players and midfield players are probably about. They might well be about next season. Um, you know, aside from the ones who, whose contracts are running down, you'd expect Magier and Sorrow probably to be around. Um, McMahon and then not signing for Newcastle. Yeah, possibly McGeady. Um, Catamol might well be around. I wouldn't be surprised if he was still here. Um, McNair. Well, going to want to keep Catamol, Robson. I would have thought. Mm, I think I think I think everybody would go for a fresh start if the opportunity was there. But whether the opportunity is there is a different question. Is someone going to take on Lee at the stage of his career? I think that's a different question. But I wouldn't be surprised if 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 they did go for a as, as clean a, a break as is possible. Is it two or three years he's got in his contract? 
it's till 2020. So is that another two years? Yeah. Yeah, another two years. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised to see that th- those kind of players leave. To be honest, I, I wouldn't at all. But it's more a case of whether someone else is going to offer the opportunity for them, for them to leave and for the club to move them on. That's going to be the big question. Because when you look at the Sunderland squad now, the, t- the players that teams are going to want to take are not necessarily going to be the ones that we would like to see moved on. That's the whole point. No, well, it's, exactly, it's, yeah. it's going to be your Soros and your McNairs, really, who are people are going to be looking at, rather than a Catamore or a McGeady or someone like that. Mm. I mean, Catamore probably hasn't done enough again for somebody to... Look at him and think he's going to up sticks move and whatever the salary he'll command. It's like I say, McGeady's one who people always say, all right, okay, move McGeady on. He maybe doesn't fit into the culture that Chris Coleman's trying to uh, implement. But again, McGeady's somebody who was known for being inconsistent. Grayson got a good spell out of him, didn't he, um, last season at Preston because he gave him a pretty much a free role. Uh, but that's been it. Who's, who's going to come and take him off your hands as well? I, I think the thing... His agent wants money by all accounts as well. I think we've seen with Sunderland over the years, I think players are signed all across the country on on reputation alone rather than what they've actually contributed recently. So I think with Lee Catlamore, you could get somebody who would look at him and make the same assumptions that we made before the season that he's ideally suited to the championship, that he should thrive at that level and be one of the best players. And I think it's the same with Aidan McGeady. You look at Aidan McGeady and... I mean, if you want to sell in McGee, you could provide an absolutely brilliant highlights reel for him. But as I say, it's about his contribution week in, week out on a regular basis. So I think if we were wanting to move them players on, I think we would get suited just basically because a lot of bad scouting and bad recruitment goes on just throughout football, basically. Interesting to see if Simon Grayson comes and takes some of the old players back. <laughs> and they'll like excel and like be really like Jason Steele. Get like player of the season for Bradford next year. And then again, McGee will score 20 goals for them. Then everyone will look bad with rotten call, won't they? <laughs> well, McGeady, you look at a number of things, couldn't you, with him? You could look at what you see on a match day from time to time. But then you could look at, in the, in the stats column, and he's our second top scorer behind Lewis Graven, who's no longer at the club. So, and he's created another goal at the weekend. I mean, I know it's probably assists wise he probably hasn't he probably hasn't really torn up any trees but he's scored goals I bet he's got four three four assists this season and he's scored what eight nine goals possibly so I think if somebody just looked at that they'd go oh "Oh, well you know that's nine goals in my team And and he remember he hasn't he had a spell where he didn't wasn't really involved for about Six weeks. The, the problem with stats don't show you is or how many times he's given the ball away in key areas where he's tried a little step over yeah. too many and how many times he's left a full-back exposed where he hasn't trapped yeah. back. I mean, I, I think you both said, though, uh, perhaps another manager will look at his, his goals and his reputation and, and go and, and, and take a putting up. But, of course, I mean, Phil, we, we, Chris Coleman says he's got a plan A and a plan B and a plan C for whatever scenario presents itself in the summer. Um, but how really, how accurate can that be? It can't be, can it, until you know what's, what's what and who owns who and what's doing what. Well, I, th- I think it's accurate in the sense that at this stage, every club is sounding out players. They're speaking to agents, they're speaking to players. What's your availability? What's your situation? Might there be a move on the cards? I'm sure Chris Coleman and Sunderland have a fairly good handle on which players are going to be moving this summer in the same way that other clubs will be fully aware which players Sunderland are open to offers for and might be moving on. 
the difficulty is is that when you're speaking to these players and, and these agents, they want to know what's happening at Sunderland. You can't sell your vision to them, where they're going to fit into the team. You don't even know what kind of wages you're going to be offering next year. So that's where the, the difficulty comes for Sunderland, really. And for Chris Coleman, it's okay having your plans, knowing which players might be available, knowing which players you might want to take. You might even have a couple of budgets and you might even know where they fit in. But if you can't tell players, A, for certain that you're going to be there in a few months, how are you going to be playing, what kind, how are you going to, kind of going to set up, what the mood at the club's going to be, all of that it makes it very difficult and you're giving everybody else a big head start, really. How confident are you, Phil, this is, that something's going to happen on that front? Without trying to push if anything you you shouldn't be telling us. What in terms of a takeover? Yeah. Um, I'm not overly optimistic to be honest. Oh, cool. um, you, I, you know when you wish you didn't ask something. Well, I, I you know I, I hope to be proven wrong. And what, did, what did journalists know? As, <laughs> well, as listen, and any journalist would tell you that the vast majority of takeovers that actually go through are the ones that you don't hear about, and that's you know Abramovich, Mansoor came from absolutely nowhere. So many takeovers. There was one at Oxford recently that. Even Craig Bellamy, who was about to take the job, didn't know about it until it happened. So that's you know that's what we hope for is that you know something will happen behind the scenes. But it's not an it's not an easy sell. The debt is you know it's absolutely chronic, and you're taking on an absolutely massive burden financially before you can even think about investing in the team and spending money on players. So I'm neither I'm neither overly optimistic or overly pessimistic. To be honest, there's been an awful lot of interest. I think there's a reason why. There's been a lot of interest that hasn't become particularly concrete over the last couple of years, and I think that's because of the debt. I'm sure people want to take the club on. The facility's there, the fan base is there. There's a lot to like about it, but I don't think it's you know, it's it's certainly not one that you can come to an easy resolution on. It's a I just think I've just got a bad a bad feeling about it being a bittersweet thing, as I talked about last on the last show. I just got this horrible feeling that there'll be some sort of Still, some sort of tight on the short, and he'll end up and he'll end up coming away owning all of our assets. If that allows somebody to come in and spend on the team, though, yeah, well, and, and, and the results, and the, well, no, but I'm, I'm saying, but and then what? You, you would trust Colm with a bit of money behind him, wouldn't you? A little bit, and then oh yeah, and I'm, I'm, oh yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's got to be better. It's not ideal, but it's got to be better than what's happening now. Because, like I said, I said at the start of the show that um, Ellis Short um, and, and maybe Martin Bain as well deserve this relegation for the naivety, stroke, arrogance of, of thinking that you can not even think about the playing stuff and the playing side of things. It's a football team first and foremost, and you need to get the starting eleven right. And for them to think that they can just make no calculated gamble whatsoever, you, you look at some of these. Club like look at Wolves for example. Now I'm not saying we should have um, went out and be re- been reckless or anything, but um, Leicester have done it before, and Bournemouth have done it before, haven't they? Where they have risked or, or knew they were going to get fined for financial fair play, for example, but they've gambled on on getting promoted. So they think, well, what we're going to get fined, um, you know, it's going to be like a drop in the ocean. Now I'm not suggesting we should have done that, or we should have put in the the entire thirty million quid we got for Pickford or whatever. But there should have been more of that. It's like they didn't even factor in the playing squad at all, did they? In, when, when they were trying to refinance what they were going to do in the summer. I think they maybe did, but I think it's, again, it's a sign that there's no joined or thinking or football people on the board whatsoever because I think at the end of August, I think we were all trying to rationalise the transfer window and say that, oh, we didn't do too bad. Callum McManaman's not a bad 
people the, the were always in with what we had, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, perhaps. But I think what they would have looked at is Callum McManaman. Oh, he's done it in the Premier League before. Mark Wilson's done it at the high level. Like I say, if we look at the reputation, it's almost like we're playing a, a bigger game of football manager. We're looking at these players and they think, oh, well, he's got a good reputation. He's got a good reputation. And we've brought players in based on that without any kind of proper scouting. So I do agree with you in that sense. But I think in their own way, they think they have looked after the football inside, but they've just been so misinformed and ill-judged. I just think the execution has been horrendous. I mean, you look at you know, Martin Beer. I think he did well with the way he managed to engineer those moves and manufacture <laughs> that, that that bit of business. But the the bottom line is that kind of investment in the playing squad wasn't going to be enough. It was never going to be enough. <clears throat> well, and now they're paying the ultimate price for it. I mean, there were no only things there. You know, people have their opinions on that deal <clears throat> from a football perspective. I think it's just it's reflective of the I whole think thing, it, isn't yeah, it? I mean, I think you know more than people. And fixating on how good or poor Manone was as a player, whether he wanted to leave Sunderland. I think that deal just kind of reflects and summarises well, it's, it's uh, what's a, happened this season. It's it's a symbolic thing, isn't it? Because yeah. Vito, you know, you, you've got to remember Vito, he signed a fairly lucrative contract this summer before. He was on a good wage. He had a year left. He wasn't going to sign a new deal. And Vito, you know, Vito felt he'd had promises broken about being the club's number one on more than one occasion. The chance to go to Redham was one that he wanted, I think. And I think he was more than happy to leave. But of course, for me, it's it's less about selling them and it's more about the replacement who, Jason Steele, everybody who even vaguely followed the championship knew what a rough time Jason Steele had at Blackburn. To get him in on a four-year contract in that situation, that to me rankles more than just selling people well, because I think there was, there were... There was a context to that. It was the just the absolute mess they made of replacement. Well, I've got the I've got the quote here if you if you wanted that um, Martin Bain just you know said about Vito Manoni deal, um, which is interesting um, on the point you've made there about the length of contract that um, Jason Sale was acquired on, and obviously the the fee, which was a quarter of the money that we brought in from Manoni, and actually a third of the money that we spent um, in the summer. <laughs> Um, probably more than a third of the money because it was well, Vaughan who isn't at the club anymore him who was nearly not at the club anymore because the, the move to Derby broke down and uh, McGeady with the three fees that we paid um, Vita Minoni goes back to this case in point about how we're trying to run the club Vita was obviously a very good goalkeeper he had a layer left on his contract which was going to run down and Sunderland would have got nothing for him the right thing was, and this is regardless of the other circumstances, to ensure that the club protected its investment and got some money for Vito. That's what I mean about efficiency. Now, I know it's easy to be wise, you know, after the event. However, the, the one to me that the, the, the funny thing about this is Vito is obviously a very good goalkeeper. Now, if it's so obvious what a good goalkeeper looks like, how have we managed to sign three absolute numpties? Um, in replacement for Vito Manoni. Um, when we talk about efficiency, why have we got a player now who is one of the worst goalkeepers I've ever seen at Sunderland? Um, and as a lot of people would say the same about Jason Steele. On a four-year deal, we spent half a million pounds on him. Now we're going to have to try and find a way to get rid of him. Or he's going to be here for three years, just well and draining the wages again. How is that efficient in any capacity? I think it, it, I think it ties into what you're saying, Phil. About it's all very well, Sam Manoni. You've got to get the right replacement in. We haven't done that, and but now the, the, dis- efficiency, the, the efficiency, the efficiency is argument is completely the irrelevant. Dis- they seem to have disregarded putting a good team together, which is yeah. the bottom line of football. 
get have a team that can compete. Well, it, and, and it's, it's just I think there's definitely an I don't know ar- I think naivety an ar- or arrogance. I think or it's what? an. Ar- I think there's been. I think there's been an arrogance. I think we've approached. I think we've approached. I, I said, you know, in the Echo Column I wrote recently, we've taken a ham-fisted approach to the championship, and if we do the same in League One, then we're going to be in serious trouble. Yeah. Because we we've been arrogant. I think I think we've just thought we'll get all these players in. It don't matter with Sunderland. We're a big club. Yeah, or whatever. No way we're going to go down. We'll be all right. Way. We'll be fine. Bain was talking about um, promotion at the start of the season. He did. He said about we'll, we'll be aiming to to go back up again. You know, we've exited the division in the wrong direction, and it's down to dreadful decision making um, off the pitch um, initially, and that's manifested itself on the pitch um, in its uh, in the performances because. Whoever's been in charge, <clears throat> including Simon Grayson, hasn't had the backing or support of the of the people who have employed him. Unfortunately, no. I mean, I, I would still, I would, I, I completely agree with with everything. I've, I've, you know, we always say recruitment, recruit well, coach well, and you'll take care of most. Something we've fallen down with in the last five yeah, years. <laughs> two fairly fundamental things, but no, it, it is recruitment, and you know, Simon Grayson would have to play his. Hadn't it as well? He, how many years did he coach in the championship? So I find it incredible that he sanctioned that deal for Steele as well, you know? But I think there was just that, I think it was absolute naivety in terms of the ability that these players that they signed would be able to reach in a short space of time, whether it be through the poor form that they'd had, the lack of football they had. There was absolutely no way that these guys were going to come together and form a team that was going to start winning matches straight away. And Steele is, you know, is an absolutely classic example of that and it's recruitment to say it all the it's time. It's an absolute I might do a poll saying this is down to arrogance or naivety and say oh, well, it's a shock. It's no, a shock. Look, we all remember the Short's club interview and he said there is no way this squad should be where it is. This squad is better than where it is I in agree. the table. It should, it should be and better. I do believe yeah. he believed that. He was completely do you not comp- believe that? We shouldn't be in the bottom three with this squad. I think, I, think I would say that at that point I'd agree with him because I think we had a we didn't have the injuries weren't as bad at that stage. I think we had what more coming back. We had um, obviously grabbing. Um, I think we were better, and then we had a nasty spell for four months. I think around the time actually Coleman came in, where we had a lot of injuries. We had about thirteen people out regularly, and I think that I think that squad was nowhere near. But that's capable of competing week in, week out. I think you first maybe yeah. what maybe on reflection, the first eleven, when fit, should be nowhere near the bottom three. But the first eleven have never been fit altogether this season. But the but the point that we've been making as well is that it's no coincidence that so many of these players were out because you know the past is the best indicator of the future, and all these players had time out. So that was kind of, that's kind of the whole point. It was it was no surprise that so many of these players went through these prolonged periods where they weren't. Available for selection, and I do, I do just think they just, for whatever reason, massively, massively misjudged the quality of the players and the the, the what state the players were in. I mean, in, it's, and I can only assume you'd hope that that was why in January that no money was invested because it's either a complete lack of care for the state of the club and where it's going, or it's an absolutely horrendous naivety. About the situation that the squad was in and the Has club to be was the in. Former, surely. Well, neither is particularly no, great, is it? No. Neither boards particularly well for the future. Uh, they're just a goalkeeper. Things really. Honestly, believe that if we'd had 
I mean, I I even think recently, and I'm willing to put my tin hat on, I've shared this opinion, that if we had Reuter for the last 10 games, we might have got a, we might have even had been three points better off, for example, even that fine margin. Now, I'm not saying he was the answer, but I'm saying that I reckon we would have got, a, you know, got away with some of the stuff that we haven't. Um, <clears throat> you know, I know he's made, I think he's made mistakes. The Millwall game obviously was the mistakes, but at least in the second half he showed that he can actually, you know, produce saves. I mean, every shot on target fails. I mean, some of the saves Camp made at the weekend, he makes it look like he's a child in goal in the garden. The ball like, just hits him. It's bizarre. Like his technique is a. Go- like, I'm not a goalkeeper, but he looks technically weird. Like, he doesn't look like he he dives past the ball and then like punches it away. So from above his head, so it's like he's almost like dives underneath the level of the ball. He doesn't catch the ball. Like when when the strike comes towards goal, that's like you know you can, you can feel where a keeper should try and push it away because the pace is on the ball to push it away or catch it. And Camp does a weird thing and steals the same. He kind of like pauses the ball away no matter what pace the ball's travelling at and it goes off at weird angles and it just looks wrong. It doesn't it doesn't look he doesn't look like a goalkeeper. Even when he makes a good save, you think that's just hit them <laughs> more than him like actively affecting it. It's bizarre. But you know, it's a it's a combination of a multitude of issues and I, but I do think the goalkeeper thing, if we'd spent like Two million quid on a goalkeeper. I think would be all right. I honestly do think would be all right. Listen, we we came out of the January transfer window with no proven strikers and no proven goalkeeper, and that is they're the two most important positions. We went into January with Lewis Graben and James Vaughan up front, saying we probably don't have enough up front, and then they both left. So not not only did we not leave the January window with a strengthened strike force, we left it with a weakened one. It's incredible, really. I think incredible. I'm also thinking the worst thing that might have been happened for for um, Coleman to strengthen his arm was probably you know Magic scoring in that game against Fulham because they've probably gone, oh well, he's back and he's scored and he's been out for ages and you know he's an answer. To a problem, obviously that's the only goal he scored this season, and he's looked. You know, he's he's got a lot of good. He does a lot of good, ready, does he he does lot of good things, but he doesn't look quite ready. Um, yeah. Obviously, Soros done really well. Interesting that he hasn't been picked as as regularly as you know after after missing those games through injury, as you would have thought. Um, but I just I do feel as though like recently I, I don't think. Tactically, I know some people question substitutions and all that, but I think the last five games, I don't think Coleman's got too much wrong. I just think, you know, people would say, well, he could put Strychek in. Well, I mean, you, you could. You, you probably could, but how much of a difference it actually would make is, is another matter. I don't think Strychek's winning you any points necessarily <clears> at all. I think that's, you know, we were talking about this the other day and that about Wright who was saying, He's not going to win you any points, but he's not going to throw points away. Throw points away but, as but then readily. again, I, I don't care what people say. I think every, when everyone's so demoralised like we are, as soon as Trichet makes a mistake, I think people are on his back straight away. I, I, I understand the points people say about giving them leeway because he's a young lad, but I think people are just have to demoralise and have frustrated as soon as he 
makes a mistake. It's like, right, give Talbot a goal now, and I we're just going to work down till we I have just, that under nine goalkeeper. Off think, the you know, Chris, Chris Coleman has come out and, and said he's not at the same level as the keepers we have. Believe what he's telling you. Believe what the manager who watches him in training every day alongside the other goalkeepers believe what he's telling people, people, especially because, especially from a manager who does pick young players if yeah. it was someone who was completely blind to young talent and just refused to pick them then you'd maybe but when someone who has shown that he will just chuck an 18 year old people are blind I think when it comes to they want to see young players playing every week it's a dream you know that you're going to have these you know wonderful team of you know, people who've come to the that, academy. but the manager's coming out and saying, the manager's but, coming out and but saying, then if you don't, he's not ready. But then he's not might, as good as the keepers we have now, and yet there's still this call for him to play. But then they'll go, but you got you signed Camp, and you decided he was better. Well, I think it was he obviously probably, is. He must be. But he's probably thinking, well, it was a last minute decision really to bring Camp in because we didn't get Lonigan. You know, and we, you know, to. You know, it wasn't quite as bad as the Mika situation where we tried to sign about 10 goalkeepers on deadline day under Moyes and paid £2 million for Mika and then let him go for nothing. I mean, it shows how bad he is. It was, it was. £2 million quid. It was pretty similar. They just didn't spend £2 million quid. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just not sure if people ever learn, though, because we've seen Ajari. But, but Ajari, of all, we've, we've seen glimpses of quality from him. But then also last Tuesday, we saw, we saw all the deficiencies that come with playing too much under-23s football brings you in that his decision-making was poor, he often tries to have a touch too many or beat an extra man when it's not necessary where he should pull the trigger or try and lay somebody in. So why is a player that comes through our under-23 system not going to have the same deficiencies, if not more deficiencies, than what the likes of Ajaria and other lone players have that we've seen coming to the club? I don't understand where this like massive clamour comes from, but just because they're excelled on the 23 level, but they'll automatically come in there our first team when they've had no experience of first team football elsewhere, how they'll just come to our first team and just excel. I just don't get the line of thinking at all. Also, it, the you know, the, we're second bottom in that division and we're playing against other under-23s. So, How long we got, Gareth? Have we got a question of the week, haven't we? This we have week? got a question of the week because you can win two tickets to the, the double relegation party. <laughs> um, the game against Burton Albion, <clears throat> um, two tickets for that and two tickets for the live show um, a week today at the uh, at the peak one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com mother's day is around the corner Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So Monday the 23rd of April when we come back depending on when you're yeah, listening <clears throat> when we come back after this bit um, we'll read the answers for that we're back <laughs> just like that just like that <laughs> don't you do do what I do and give away the magic I, d- I didn't give anything away I just said just like that what's that giving away he's been watching that Tommy Cooper documentary that was on last night <clears throat> yeah I, so we I had didn't it. watch it actually I've seen documentaries on Tommy Cooper before, obviously. Oh, well done. Do you want a prize, like? 
Um, I've got. Uh, what have you got for me, like Burton tickets? <laughs> yeah, tickets for the live tickets show. For the live show. Yeah, I've got <laughs> loads of them. No, we haven't actually. There's only about just over ten, I think. Just over ten. Just over. So eleven. There's ten and a half tickets remaining. <laughs> so you can bring. I don't know if you've got like a dismembered corpse in your house, something like that, with like say, a dog, uh, something like that. No, um, I don't have, then you would let dogs in. No, just with the dismembered corpses in. Possibly, it depends what. Put him in goal for Sunderland. Which, 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 well, that which, is which, nice. Did you? It does, does segue as a sin. I don't think you meant that, but you, you've bought, you've decided that it was. Um, <laughs> so the the question to win the two tickets to the Burton game and, and the two tickets to the live show um, was which inanimate object should be put in goal for the rest of the season and why. Um, and we had loads of answers, so. Bear with me while I try and... It's uh, probably the best response we've had. For, there's a bit of the summer. It's a question of the yeah, week yeah. for a long time, and it's because you've got the opportunity everyone, to like grief Sunderland yeah, yeah. And, and be really cynical and negative. Everyone, lots of answers. Um, he's JD at... So, at, so, at, at so, so, so say the question again. Which inanimate object would you put in gold to the rest of the season? Right. Um, are we judging the winner here? Or yeah, we all we well, all four. Yeah, okay. all four of us are judging the winner. Uh, JD with a callback to um, some previous uh, previous bantet from <laughs> earlier in the season. Um, Jason Seal, um, Jason Seal's goalkeeping banter DVD featuring Lee Camp, <laughs> um, very own uh, DVD of goalkeeping gaffes. Um, Damien Taylor, no, that's not. That's actually he was. That was just actually a question. Um, <laughs> Matt Hartley said Andy Reid's food shopping receipt. Brian Bilton, Martin Bain, um, Chris Johnson. I don't know if he's got scissors, but because he'd chop, he'd chop that top knot straight off. It's not really. I don't know if if, if it's doing the chopping during the the game and and camp gets in the way during the warm up. I don't know. Johnny McCartney, a tin of burgers. Um, Tony Edgar, maybe a scorer. Everything goes past them as well. Not much difference. Not a very good suggestion. And scorers have vastly improved in the last few years. That's a 1980s joke, yeah, that yeah, one, it isn't, isn't it? it? He should have said um, larder, <laughs> shouldn't he? Um, Darren Leach says a fridge. Um, Martin Bell won Jordan Pickford's goalie gloves from last season. Either hand. That'd be um, interesting, wouldn't it? Like, can you remember the um, the comic? What one of the um, comic book stories in Royal the Rovers? I think with a kid who used to wear the football boots. From Dead Shot King. No. Can nobody remember? No. Can, uh, I remember before Bi- your time, Phil and Michael, but I thought I you remember, might remember. Um, Billy the Fish. Do well, it was Billy the Fish? from Viz, yeah, but this this was in, in Roy of the Rovers, and it was a story of a kid. He wasn't very good at football, and he oh, found, yeah, and, he, and he found, yeah, so he'd get a game. Yeah. Um, and also, he, he found a pair of old boots in his granddad's lot or something, and it was a professional, it was a former player who was called Dead Shot Keen, I think, because he, he was that good, and when he put these boots on, that acted as like magical boots for him, where they had the mind of their own, and you knew where to be positioned and how to finish. And 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 every week was always he would always like lose the the boots, or they would get stolen, or he would have you know something go wrong with one of the boots. Which would, and it was kind of it was like that every week. I used to love Dave it. Me, you'd think you'd try and you know provision for for those weekly occurrences. <laughs> he was you know. fourteen year old or something like well, that. You know, I, used, I used to love it. Yeah. That'd be good. So Jordan Pickford. See, this is just cause to show that you can't you can't always shut the kids in. You know, <laughs> not reliable enough. Um, shall we carry on with this? Yeah. These will have forgotten the answers up to now. <laughs> just try and remember the one that you really liked. Um, Brett Davidson says. Davidson says an inflatable 
penis. <laughs> As it were, get closer to the balls than any of our, our <laughs> current three. What rude words. Caleb Graham. Um, those two Burton tickets is no wants them. Um, Tom George says Donald Love branded flannel. Ethan's gone with a tin of Wester's burgers in gravy, signed by Stephen Elliott. Ooh. Fake gravy. Is that what you called fake gravy? Remember when we talked about the gravy, you said it was fake gravy. Yeah. I, it was weird that because I, I was at um, an event at Nissan and um, there was an advert for a sportsman. Gravy. No, there was an advert for a sportsman's dinner and it said with like real gravy. So oh, maybe right. there is fake and real gravy. That There's fake everything, of. really, yeah. if you think about it. Um, fake gravy would be just granules, wouldn't it? Whereas real gravy would be like mm. made with like the, the juices the, from the, the meat. The juices from the meat. Mm. Right. I make my gravy with the juice from the meat, obviously. Well, that's the real gravy. Um, <coughs> Lee Barker says um, Sammy the Snake. Any um, fans of Phoenix Knights will be aware of that. Andrew I always Dor- feel like when, yeah. it, when it's something that's so... Brit- British like that, we need to let our American listeners. Well, should watch Phoenix Knights. Be fine. It's called and Phoenix Knights. Also, that is an animate object, isn't it? An an- it's an inanimate object, yeah. Sammy the Snake. It's an inflatable. Oh, it's not an actual snake. No, no, no he's not seen Phoenix Knights. I've only seen selected clips. That from is Phoenix terrible. It's an inflatable. Well, it's an inflatable. Well, a lot of inflatable eyes on it and pretend it's a snake. Yeah. Um, strap it down. Strap it down, and then. As you can imagine in, in, a, in a sketch yeah. such as this, the pressure gets turned up and it rises and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. It was hilarious. <laughs> bit of blue. Sp- spoiler, bit of blue. Spoilers there. <laughs> um, Andrew Dawson, not that one, um, says Lee Camp, question mark. Um, Nick Holden, Jason C were already paying his wages. Um, <clears throat> Ryan Palliser says Jack Rodwell, because let's face it, we don't know whether he's dead or alive. Um, Ian says Ellis Short's wallet. Um, Michael Paul says me because even the horrors our defence have committed this far and think they're still capable of can't shot me in action. I, I think he's still alive though, Michael. I don't know. Do you become an animal when you're dead? Is that a thing? Or is he just dead? <laughs> you can't move, can you? So philosophy. <laughs> so you, you will technically you will deep. move. That by, question is too deep will, for me. You will decompose. So you are technically in in an, there is inertia, 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 inertia. Moving along. I can't remember the words. Moving along. Matthew Keating, Lee Camp, sleeping bag. Um, Saf David, that minion, that Jack Rodwell won on the front of the machine. Uh, Darren Hill, a grand piano ready for the fat lady to start singing. Uh, David Clark says, just leave the step ladder after they put the nets up. Um, <laughs> Crawling King Snake says, C3PO more mobile than Lee Camp and quicker than Jason Steele. Um, Peter Stamp says, one of those fair ground distorting mirrors to make Camp look at massive, like nearly six feet tall. Um, Ken Barker says an airport. Uh, Shay Pickford's old gloves. <laughs> Ethan's or he's already had one, but he's gone with an airport as well. And um, there's more of that than a clean sheet from Lee Camp. Macam um, Lad says a pint of wine. Um, <coughs> Luke Hagen says a large a bag of eight large sausage rolls and two steak bakes, just so he can shout we pay your wages at the unsuspecting shop assistant putting them out on the pitch. Morrison's can sell camp and steel instead, but only after 9am. It's a bit of a reference to the pie story. Um, that's been doing the rounds. Um, Kieran says a stick of butter, because even that wouldn't melt as fast as what our goalkeepers do when they're called in the slice bit of action. Um, Scott says the Bob Stoker statue. Daniel Jank says the, this carbon rod, which is a reference to the uh, Sim- Simpsons, where the, um, the carbon rod wins the uh, employee of the... Uh, um, 
Mike says pull the Velcro, more chance of the opposition shot sticking to it. Um, let's have a look here. Michael O'Neill, a bouquet of flowers like the one we sent to Miss Advocat would make for a poetic bookend for the past few seasons. Um, let's have a look, and that's probably it, really, I think. So, what do you think? I think the one that got the biggest laugh was the airport. Airport's got the win, anything yeah, like that. Yeah. Let's I have like a look the here. very first one I liked, what was that again? I thought it was good. a really strong start, and uh, I remember thinking they'll do well to beat that. Jason Steele's goalkeeping banter DVD. Yeah. Well, um, come on, computer, why are you being frozen? Ken Barker painting Ken. No relation. Oh, I don't think he is anyway. <laughs> if you are, if you're a member of my family, then please <laughs> let me know. Probably shouldn't win. Um, but yeah, I think we should. Uh, that drew the biggest laugh. Well, so the airport one. The airport one the did. Simpl- the simplistic the nature simplistic, of it. Yeah. So yeah, Ken Bark, you've won at Painting Ken. <clears throat> you've won um, two tickets to the Burton Albion game. On two tickets to our get in touch show. and let us know if you don't want them. Oh, <laughs> and then the um, that's you know no not not because they're rubbish Sunderland are, but sometimes people yeah. are already season ticket holders. Um, and, and they get back in touch and say that you know they I, don't I want like them. the one that was the two Burton tickets. That one, yeah, yeah, as well. Like, meta, that could be the, the backup. Yeah, it would okay. be. So you're the backup if the two Burton tickets, and then Joe, Jason Seals goalkeeping band the third. So whoever gets in touch, well, not whoever gets in touch first, <laughs> Ken, get in touch with us. You've won. Do we give him a deadline to get in touch? No, we'll see. Well, yeah, we'll, well see we'll Thursday. To, because... We'll see Thursday. You got a Thursday to get in touch. Okay. So you know, sort yourself out. And we'll be back on Thursday then to talk about the Burton game. Remember, well, you. You haven't plugged the fact that the tickets for the live show, all those people who entered surely wanted tickets to the live show. And if you haven't bought any, then you should buy some because there's not many left. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be a good night. Come along, listen to Lee, how we listen to Stephen Elliott. And 23rd of April. 23rd of April. Online. Talk about football, the way we do it, the way we structure it is. The first 45 minutes or so of the show, uh, we will we will ask Stephen and Lee stuff and just basically let them dictate the conversation, no doubt having a good rant about Sunderland and about the current players. We might have even been relegated by then, remember. And then the you, second half of the show, um, we let you ask your questions yourself. Um, you that's sounded, the way we do it. You sounded far too a beat there when you went, we might even be relegated by then. <laughs> well, you know, rips it, rip the plaster off. Also, um, yeah, the set the Peacock on Saturday before the Burton game. Mm. Make sure you come to that because uh, Chris Brown is joining us. Um, to preview the game, and I'm sure he'll have some interesting stories. Um, we'll have to press him on his experience. I wonder what kind of yeah. questions he's going to get asked. We'll have to press by him the on the audience yeah. in the peacock. We'll have to press him on his uh, questions, uh, on his uh, experience as a Doncaster, obviously, because he played there with John Oster, and John yeah. Oster had some good stories about that. So I'm sure with that. Dean uh, Saunders being manager. Yeah, that, and the all banter the era. weird old banter banter Well, Michael Potter's got stories about Dean Saunders as well, <laughs> so. I almost feel like we should give him the job next year because we were laughing at the thought of Ali McCoist, weren't we? Maybe we should just. We all like, always laugh at the year. thought of Ali McCoist. Not a moment goes by where I don't, you know, cut my. I think the, he's got a better CV than Dean Saunders about, has. Uh, he's got a better managerial CV than Dean Saunders, hasn't he? Managed Rangers. I mean, <laughs> it depends how highly you rate the Scottish 16th division. I wouldn't be confident Dean Saunders could go there, <laughs> could go there and do a job. I reckon he could probably get a team promoted to the Scottish Premier League. There's a great story. The Proctor one, he, t- he told the players, didn't he, that uh, whoever gets a man of the match this game can have him a car or something and then just never brought her up again and never mentioned it again. So, anyway. it's one way to deal with it. We'll be back on Thursday to talk about the Burton game. Um, 
and don't forget to go online and buy some tickets because there are a few left and we'd love to see you there and have a drink with you anyway thanks for listening deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.